Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. We are working our way through a message series that we've called that I've called Providence, and um, Providence is from a Latin root and prefix pro videre, uh, pro meaning beforehand, ahead of time, videre meaning uh, to see. And we've been looking at how God has a unique vantage point. He, he sees what's going on. Um, we're looking at how God rules and how he works out his purposes as he watches what's going on in, in the world. Uh, last week, we looked at Abraham's life. Abraham, when he was 75, God promised him that he was going to have a child. He was childless, he and Sarah, his wife. And God promised that he was going to give birth to a, a, a son who, through whom he would raise up a, a tremendous peoples and bless the world through them. That was at 75. The baby was born when he was 100. At 86, right around 86, about 11 years after the promise, Abraham uh, and Sarah decided, well, God, God told us this, but maybe he meant that Abraham, you're supposed to have a child with Hagar, the maidservant. And so Abraham says, hey, okay, great idea. It was Sarah's idea. Great idea. I'll just have, you know, have the kid with her. So a child's born, Ishmael. Well, this creates jealousy on Sarah's part. She treats Hagar um, poorly. And actually, they, they tell her to leave. She has to leave the house. This is a bad situation for a woman of this age, in this age, in this era. And um, so she, she goes out, and she's, she's homeless. She's wandering around, and she's obviously, you know, wondering how this is going to go. Well, God appears to her, and he promises that he's going to watch out for her, that he'll bless the child born to her, Ishmael. And actually, the Arab people come through the line of Ishmael. And so he'll bless them, make them numerous, and, and uh, Hagar, in her response to God, says, you are the one who sees me. She, she says, she comments, the one who sees me, the, the God who sees me, I have seen. Very interesting. That's what we're talking about. God is watching. God sees our lives. He sees what's going on. If we'll turn to him and trust him, he will weave everything together for our good. When God acts or he doesn't act, he is ruling the universe and controlling the events in our lives based on a vantage point and information that is not available to us. He has an eternal view. He's taking an eternal view. He's working history toward the time when he renews everything. The first man and woman made a choice to rebel against God. The entire creation and men and women have fallen. And God is working through history to fulfill his purpose and bring about the day when everything comes back together. And he's doing what he does from the standpoint that he sees it all. He sees everything at once. He knows the facts of a given situation. We see the tip of the iceberg. He sees the whole thing. There are things that are hidden from our sight. Nothing is hidden from, from God's sight. So in this series, we're looking at how helpful it is 
to trust in God and his providence in our lives. Now, God can simultaneously hear and answer all prayers that all people pray at all times. Pretty amazing. Not only that, he can see all actions of all individuals, even those actions that are done behind closed doors. Um, that's, that's what you find out in Scripture. Now, is this, is this just wishful thinking? Is, is this just something we'd like to believe, that there's a God who loves us, that's watching it all, he can see everything that's going, he can see everything at once? Or is, is it really possible? Well, since we're talking about this, I wanted to throw this out there, and then I'll get into the subject for the day, but this is reasonable, that God can do this. Now, Bruce Almighty couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Bruce Almighty, but he tried to handle it. He couldn't do it. Um, but this is reasonable. Now, how can God do that? Well, Rich Deem is a scientist, and this is what he says. Christianity makes some rather remarkable claims about the abilities of God. <clears throat> From a human perspective, the idea that any being can do these kinds of actions seems preposterous. However, since God is outside of the box, we need to think outside the box. When he says God is outside the box, he means that God exists outside of our dimensions of space and time. He's outside of um, our limitations. And he, he wrote a paper, and I put the link that you can get the paper from at the end of the listening guide in the next steps. You can read the paper, and he'll introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Flat, and he will uh, help you kind of get your mind around how this can be. But this is what we know. Those of us who know God and walk with him, we trust in this. And I have seen God work through all the situations of my life. And as I turn to him and as I trust him, as I walk by faith, I've seen him weave my choices and the things that are going on in my life that I can't fix or change into his plan. My son Thad was a, a baseball player. He's really into it, and I'm probably to blame for that. When he was about one and he could stand up, I handed him a bat, started throwing a balloon toward him so he could hit it. And uh, from a very, very young age, fairly young age, uh, he wanted to play college baseball. That was kind of his goal in life, and maybe play pros. I don't know. I never heard much about the pros, but college baseball. As he developed as a player, it looked like he actually had the ability to play. His sophomore year in high school, he played on the varsity team. He hit just under 500. In the fall of his junior year, though, uh, we discovered that he had something wrong. We thought it was with his hip. He was in weight training, thought he hurt his hip. Then as we went to doctor after doctor after doctor, we found out that he had back problems. And he was a catcher, had back problems. Ended up, he needed major back surgery. Major. Every time I thought it would be the best case scenario. No. Finally, I went to the worst case, and then that's what it was. Uh, it didn't actually turn out to be the worst that it could be, but that it was, in my mind, major back surgery was not good for a 17-year-old. And so, as a dad, this was something I couldn't fix. I couldn't change it. I couldn't fix it. And I wanted him to be able to fulfill his dream. I really wanted this. This was his dream, and I was probably responsible for that dream. I'm the one that threw the balloon, gave him the bat, and all that kind of stuff. But it turned out, 
I was concerned how, how he was going to respond, how Thad was going to respond to God in the middle of this trial. And it turned out that God used it to focus Thad's purpose for his life. But still, I haven't changed it, and I haven't fixed it. I couldn't. In today's message, we're going to look at how we can deal with the things we can't fix and we can't change. When we've blown it, when we've sinned, when we've blown it, we need to pick up and move on. We need to be able to get moving. But many times we wallow in the guilt and we don't want to keep going. We just wallow. We want to fall into a blob on the floor. But moving on is in the best interest of everybody involved. It's in the best interest of those around you who are counting on you. It's in the best interest of God's kingdom. If you're setting yourself to fulfill God's purpose for you and advance his kingdom, it's in the best interest of his kingdom for you to keep moving. It's in the best interest of you yourself, you and me, when we've blown it, when we can't fix something, to keep moving on. And then there are things in our lives that we can't change, just for no apparent reason, some very hard things that we experience that we can't change. How do we deal with those things? How do we handle those things? The key question is how do we respond to God in the middle of these things that we can't fix or change? There's a great explanation in Scripture of of why life is the way it is, but I can't get into that. Today, I don't have time to do that and what I'm doing both. And there's a sliding scale of things we can't fix or change. You know, there are things that are painful, dreams that aren't fulfilled, dreams that are shattered. They're, they're just, that's, those are some of the heavier things. But there are days that don't go our way. You know, we get up, we want them to go one way, and people mess them up. Or something happens, and we, they don't go our way. How are we going to deal with that? Plans. We have plans. We have projects we're working on. Why can't a project be easy? Just one project. Okay, just one. Why not? Why can't I just do a project and then have it go smoothly? It doesn't. There, there are snarls and snags and interruptions and delays. This is what we're going to look at in, in the message today. How do we respond to God in the middle of these things? The Bible does make some amazing statements about God. Listen to Ephesians 11, 1, 11, and 12. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. There's providence. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. God wants the best for us. As you turn to him and you walk with him, he, he wants to work out everything for his purpose, and he makes it good in our lives. So today, I want to talk through how trusting God and his providence can help us deal with the things that we can't fix or change in our lives. Somehow, God weaves our choices into his overall plan, like Ephesians 1 says, He weaves it into his overall plan for the world as a whole and in our individual lives. He's working his purpose out in everything and everyone. And so we're going to look at how letting God be God 
is the way to handle the things we cannot fix or change. Now, there is a sense in which God's going to be God anyway, whether we allow him to. But he, he, the way God is, he, he is not going to force himself on you. He's not going to, he, he allows you and I to choose whether or not we're going to let him rule in our lives. And so letting God be God is the way to handle the things we cannot fix or change. I want to pull a lesson for today out of the sum of the events in the life of King David. David was a hero and a king, uh, <clears throat> the greatest hero and king in the history of Israel. He was handpicked by God himself to be the king. He, um, they, God allowed Israel to pick the first king, didn't go so well, King Saul wasn't that great. And so he picked the next one himself. He picked David. David, it turns out, was a great warrior, a little guy, little ruddy guy, the scripture says, but a great warrior, a total stud. He, he, he was, he, he, his exploits in battle, the ladies of the nation would write songs and sing them about him. I mean, he, he was amazing. He had a tremendous heart for God. He had a strong, godly character. He, he wrote many of the psalms out of his walk with God that, that instruct us today. Jesus comes from his lineage. He comes from the line of David. And Jesus sits on the throne of David. I mean, this is, this is the guy in the history of the nation of Israel. And today we're going to look at the darkest part of his life by far. Reading the story that I'm going to walk through with you today is disturbing. It's kind of like a Dateline NBC or... 48 hours. Now, it's something you probably wouldn't suspect of my wife. She likes Dateline NBC. And I've been married to her for 32 years, so I kind of get into it too now. But, and, and the way the format of that show's done, you hear the guy's voice, and he's got a really good voice, but it's chilling the way they do the, it's, there's this chill to it. And you see these creepy, horrendous things that people are able to do, that they're capable of doing, and then you go to bed because it comes on about 10. And so you're, you're laying there going, wow. Well, th- this, is, this is the kind of story that we're going to look at this morning. And I honestly kind of wish the story wasn't in the Bible. It's kind of like I'd like to edit it out, although it's incredibly instructive. But it's kind of one of those things, it's hard to read. It's hard to realize that your hero could do this. It's hard to realize that someone is capable of doing this. And, and the story is like that today. That we're, It's disturbing. Some things in it might make you uncomfortable. And if you aren't yet convinced of God's existence, and you aren't yet you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, I want to encourage you to let this message be a conversation starter. Let it be a starter. As, as it raises questions, if there are questions that are raised, that you need answers to, Get the answers. Let it start the conversation. Let it get it moving. Because if there are things that you need to grasp, there are answers to the questions that will come up in your mind. There are answers. But we're going to dig in and see what happened. David's darkest days, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, he should have gone to war. That's what kings were supposed to do in the spring. He was supposed to go out with the army, but he stayed home, and he got himself in a heap of trouble. 
David committed adultery with Bathsheba. You see that? That's the next thing that comes up. He goes up on the roof of his palace. He's taking it easy. He's lounging. The, the army's fighting the battle. He goes up on the roof of the palace. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. Her name's Bathsheba. He brings her to the palace. He's the king. People have to do what the king wants. She comes to the house. He sleeps with her. A little later on, she sends word that she's pregnant. He's, he's in a dilemma. How do I handle this? How do I fix this? He has a lot of power. He's very wealthy. So he tries to cover himself. And what he does is he brings Bathsheba's husband Uriah in from the battlefield, hoping that he'll go home and sleep with his wife and then that'll cover everything. Uriah is a good man. He's loyal. And out of duty, he refuses to go home. The next day, David decides, well, I'll get him drunk. If I can get him drunk, then maybe he'll go home and sleep with his wife. Uriah gets drunk the next night, still does not go home. He goes outside of the palace and sleeps with the servants. David's going, oh my, you know, what, what in the world? So in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, it says, David wrote a letter to Joab. He sent it with Uriah back to the, the front lines. Put Uriah in the front of the line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Later on, a few passages later, a messenger is sent from the battlefield to David, tells him what's going on in the battle. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The deed is done. It, it's, it's only a few details are left now. It could be nice and tidy. I could cover what I've done. This is what David says. Second Samuel 11, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. This is a good man. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, you, you see that. That is deeply disturbing, what David had done. Deeply disturbing. And he thought he could cover it up. He thought he had it covered up. And as you read this, if you think, as you read it and think, how could he do such a thing? You sort of look down on David. You have to understand something about human nature. We're all capable of something similar. We all are. But anyway, he thought he had it covered, all nice and tidy, and then God sheds light on his darkness. Nathan the prophet delivers God's message. The prophet comes before David. He tells him a story of a rich, powerful man who takes advantage of a poor, humble, good man who lived in his city. He tells the story, and David's reaction is, that man must pay. He deserves to die. And then Nathan says this. Look at what he says. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you. I gave your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. The prophet rehearses the blessings of God that are evidence of God's love for David. 
God, God has blessed him. Obviously. Why, it goes on, did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David realizes that he hasn't covered up his sin. He hasn't successfully covered his sin from the only one in the universe that matters. God has been paying attention. He's been watching. Providere. He sees. He sees everything. He sees what's going on. The prophet lays out the consequences. Verses 10 through 14. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own, this is what the Lord says, out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. David, David becomes an example. He has a level of privilege and responsibility, and the consequence matches that. This is, this is the consequence. Look at David's initial response. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because you, by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. David's response was, it shows you his heart. As horrible as this situation is, it shows you his heart. There are two other kings who were confronted by prophets that didn't respond this way. Uh, King Ahab went home. He was kind of a wimpy guy. He went home, told his wife, well, Elijah said this. I can't believe it. Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah. Then John the Baptist prophesied against Herod, and Herod... um, ended up beheading John the Baptist. A very different response. But even in the midst of this horrible stuff, you see David's initial response was, was at least the right one. It was at least right. I, I have sinned against the Lord. He is forgiven, but the consequences remain. There, there are things he cannot change. He, he cannot fix. He can't, he can't do this. Here's his response to what he couldn't change or fix. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. Now, David prayed. Because he knew that in the past God had relented and changed, appeared to change his mind. He knew that God responds to prayer. And he knows that God is gracious. So he's praying. And God wants us to pray. Because that's what draws us closer to him. This is, this is how we're drawn closer. As we deal with life, prayer draws us close to God. And we're able to interact with him as he chooses the way he's going to respond. He wants us to pray in the midst of things because sometimes he, he actually, uh, our prayers, um, he, he listens to them and he shifts circumstances. I don't know how he does this. I don't know. He doesn't live in our dimension. 
He, or he does, but he doesn't. He lives outside of it, too. So I don't know how it happens, but he doesn't. I, I know this. He wants us to pray so we draw closer to him. But at the same time, God is not a vending machine. And he says no to fulfill something important to him. God is God. On the seventh day, the, di- the child died. David's, David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child is dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David, watch what he does. He got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. David pled for the life of his child. He was responsible for the death of that child. He pled, but he did not demand. He did not demand his way. And this is so important to understand as you handle life. Because if you don't, if you don't bow to the providence of God in different circumstances that you go through, bitterness could set in. Anger could set in. Entitlement could poison the way you go at the rest of your life. When God said no, David bowed to his providence. David honored him. Letting God be God is the only way to handle the things we cannot fix or change. He is in charge. His servants asked him. This made no sense to his servants. They're watching this. This made no sense. Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. See, David himself had an eternal view of things. The baby was okay. Baby got a promotion right on into eternity with God. So he, he, he understood this. Can I bring him back again? He was able to move on. Now, I, I think this is not something he moved on. The things in my past that I can't fix, they come up. They keep coming up. And I have to remember that God can weave even those things into my life and make them good. He can weave my poor choices into my life and the life of those around me, and he can use them to accomplish his purpose. I haven't decued myself from, from God loving me and graciously weaving in my choices to accomplish his purpose in my life. Accepting what is and what will be from the hand of God is the way to handle the things that you can't fix or change. Job was a good man that God allowed to be tested in tragic circumstances. Um, We actually just sang a song that was a quote, a direct quote from Job. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a direct quote from Job. Job uh, was tested 
by Satan. He was a good man, a righteous man. Satan asked God if he could test him and bring trials on him. There are some horrible circumstances that Job went through. And Satan wanted to prove to God that anybody who goes through really rough times is going to cave and just punt and say, forget God, I'm going to do life my own way or whatever. Job refused to do that. You give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan wanted to test him. God allowed it. In the middle of the testing, Satan says in Job 2, Satan said that, um, well, anybody, you know, he's got all this stuff. It hasn't, you haven't let me touch him. Let me afflict Job and he's going to curse God. I know he will. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. Now, that's miserable. That is pretty bad. This is something Job can't change. This is stuff that's happened in his life. No apparent reason. It's not because of his sin. It's not because of his wrong. But he can't change it. His wife says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Job shows us that letting God be God is the way to handle things we can't fix or change. And by the way, God is going to be God, whether we allow him to be God. But What I mean by that is we have to ask him to take his rightful place in our lives. God, would you rule my life? He allows us the freedom to choose whether we're going to go his way or our own way. Would you rule my life? Job never strayed from realizing that God was in control. The Lord waits for us to make this choice, to let him be the Lord of our life. And when we do, He takes the bad, and he works it for good, for his purpose. Accepting what is and what will be from the hand of God helps us move on when we've blown it. David wrote Psalm 51 after the events and possibly during the events that we just read about in his life. He confessed his sin. uh, Psalm 37 is a similar, no, not 37, 34, I think. I might be wrong, but there's an earlier psalm. That, that he's, he's working out, and his guilt, he just lays out his guilt and his shame before God. And Psalm 51, he confesses his sin, and then he says this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In other words, if I could fix what I've done by doing something else that makes it okay, I would do it, but that's not what you want, is it, God? That's not what you want. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. We, we can't fix our own sin. We can only admit it and be honest about it. And the moment that we're honest about it, we, we are uh, making use of God's fix. He's fixed it. He's fixed it in Jesus Christ. He's paid for our sin by giving his son to die on the cross for our sins. God wants our hearts to be broken by our sin, to confess 
and to repent, and the moment we do, we're forgiven. God is gracious, 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Make things right with God so guilt and shame don't, don't prevent you, so they won't prevent you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. You get it straight with God. If you've blown it and there are consequences, people have paid, God will forgive. And from that moment on, he will work everything in your life for his purpose as you cooperate with him. Accepting what is and what will be from the hand of God also protects us against bitterness and keeps us moving toward the right things because that's the danger. When things happen in our life, it's normal to ask why. When we, we were only trying to do good or we didn't do anything wrong and this horrible stuff attacks us, comes after us, and we don't understand it. Well, if you let God be God, if you accept what is from his hand, it protects us against this, the bitterness that we're in danger of. Peter and John, in the early days of the church, they uh, healed a man who had been crippled from birth. They healed a man, a crowd gathered, they preached about Jesus Christ, and many people came to know Jesus Christ. They began to walk with him. Their reward for that was jail. It threatened the religious leaders of that day. They, they took them, they threw them in jail, and they threatened them not to ever speak about Jesus Christ again. <clears throat> when, when they were released from jail, they went back to the church, and the church began to pray. And I want to show you the last part of the church's prayer, because it, it's very instructive. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they were the religious leaders, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. There's providence. God God knows. He's, he's not surprised. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They... they they were focused on moving toward the right things. They were focused on fulfilling God's purpose. God was in charge of whether or not they ended up in jail, whether or not they were beaten. Whether God was in charge of their life. They'd given it to him. So they were letting him be in control. They were just focused on fulfilling his purpose. They were just letting him do what he wants to do. If you trust God and accept what is, you don't waste time fighting against the things you can't change. And you're able to stay focused on what's helpful and productive. You're able to limit the damage that's done in your family relationships and friendships. And if it's a, it, there's a sliding scale of painful things that we go through. If it's a very painful thing, eventually the joy returns as you walk with God. But if you don't keep walking in the direction God wants you to go, you're in danger of, of bitterness that will derail your life. It will poison your life. When my mind goes back to the things I can't change, and it does, there are things in, that I'm, you know, I'm not proud of. There are things in my life I can't fix. When my mind goes back there to the things that I wish I could change, I have to remind myself, God's forgiven me. He's gracious. 
He's willing, he's working this into his plan for my life. God, I can trust you. Here's this thing, i got to move on. I've got to move on. Here it is. Would you make the most of it? Would you? There's no other way to go. There's no other place to turn. But God, letting God be God is the way to handle these things that we can't fix or change. God will be God. And we choose how we're going to relate to him as we go through the flow of life. I, I like to say life is life. Life has ups and downs. There are hard things. There are, there are good things. There are you know, stuff we have to do. Life is life. You either choose to go through it with God or without him. If you go through it with God, he makes it good. He makes the bad stuff good. I've seen this over and over and over again. I'd like to introduce you to a man. Uh, we're going to watch a video uh, of his. Nick Boychik. Um He's a man who his entire life has struggled with some circumstances that will be apparent as he shares a testimony. He, God has brought him through some really rough things. And he now speaks, uh, gives testimony of God's goodness and grace and help in his life, sort of to help motivate people deal with hard things. So here he is, Nick. The first time I ever thought of becoming a speaker was when I was in high school myself, and a speaker came and shared his story about how um, he believes that his life was a, an accident because uh, um, with the situations of his life, he, he never knew his mother. He didn't know who his mother was or his father was, and uh, they gave him up as a little child. And uh, he was sharing about how there were many times in life where he wanted to give up, but he did find a greater purpose. And it really impacted me in the whole school, and I thought to myself, maybe I will have a good enough story one day to share and give someone hope, because I know how much that hope meant to me. What if I can be that hope for somebody else? Have you ever felt that in your life? That, you know what, if just one more thing happens in my life that's bad, I'm going to give up. And you come to times in life where you feel like it's impossible. I can't get through this. I want to illustrate this You see, many people think that when I fall down, that victory is when Nick again sends. It's not true. Victory in life is not when addiction comes out of your blood system and your brain and your mind. Victory is not when a circumstance changes. Victory is when your heart changes. So I started speaking at age 17. And uh, a couple youth groups and a couple schools. And then at age 19 and a half, the Ministry of Life Without Limbs started. And that's based out in Los Angeles. And since then, we've spoken across 19 countries to 2 million people face-to-face. And uh, we believe that this is just the beginning. When you put a little bit of faith in the big God, all things are possible. Then he will give you the strength to get through whatever you're going through like this. A lot of people are surprised as to what reactions we get um, when you know teenagers come up and just cry on my shoulder and 
Um, that's when this really actually began, when, um, when I was 19 and a half, I spoke in front of 300 sophomore students. In the middle of the room, there was a girl who was just very emotional and everybody noticed her crying. And uh, right in the middle of it, she put up her hand and she said, I, I need to come up and give you a hug, I'm so sorry. She came up and she hugged me and she whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that I'm beautiful. No one's ever told me that they love me. And then she gave me a hug, and in that release, there was just this release. And, uh, just, um, emotions, the outward release, is, is really um, evidence of, of a spiritual release as well. Um, and and that, that's what happens when people come up. Just all their barriers come down because they know that I've been real, I've been transparent, I've shared my pain with them. And even though they have arms and legs and they have different problems, they somehow relate to my brokenness um, and really hold on to the hope that I've held on to. And so in that, there are many people who come up and say, Nick, um, you know, I was about to give up. You know, it's my birthday next week, and I was supposed to commit suicide. That was my plan. Um, but you've come and you've saved my life. And from you know, any comments like that to, you know, Nick, you've, you've helped me to find my purpose in life. Um, you can't put a price tag on that. So that's the, uh, the reactions we get from people. There, there really is. The things we can't change or fix, there's only one place to turn, really, and it's to God. Nick describes in other places how he went through some very dark days. But his parents were believers, they were Christians, and they they led him and helped him as they were going through their own pain. I guess when he was brought to his mom when he was born, she asked for him to be taken away, so she was struggling as well. She's going through some very hard circumstances. But you realize, there's the only hope I have is in God. He's the only one that can help me grow through this and develop. Letting God be God is the only way to handle the things we can't fix or change. I'd like to read some passages from Isaiah as we close. Isaiah 29. What are those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord and who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing? Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, 45. To him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds, the broken pieces of pottery on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands, God has no hands? Woe to him... Who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hand stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. Think about what life could be like, what your life, what your family church in the valley, your circle of friends. Think about what it could be like if we were all able to accept what is and move on and focus on the things that really matter. Thankfully, my son walked with God through his trouble with his back. And I like to say that God put his fingerprint right in the middle of Thad's back. You, You can see the... You can, you can see the scar. But I say that's God's fingerprint. 
And he used that trouble to focus the direction of Thad's life. And I am very grateful. I'd like to close the message and ask you to say a prayer with me. And the prayer is Isaiah 64, 8. O oh Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Would you say this with me? O oh Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few minutes. Please take out your connection card and, and let us know how you want to respond to the message. There's some next steps that are suggested. Um, could be one step could be to memorize Isaiah 64:8, the verse we just read together. Uh, another step: pray Isaiah 64:8 every day this week and surrender to God's will and purpose for you. That that'd be a great step. And then the the paper I mentioned earlier is there as well. It might be that you're at the point where you've been pursuing God. You've been investigating what it means to follow him, and you're ready right now to commit your life to follow Christ. You can do that by admitting your sin, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for his sins, and committing your life to make him Lord, allowing him to rule. Let God be God. If you want to do that, there's a place on the back of that connection card you can let us know. Either I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Christ or Right now, I'm, I'm going to commit to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let us know and drop that in the offering later on when it comes by. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. In, in the midst of our pain, Lord, you are so faithful. And in the midst of this life and the struggles and the hard things, you, you are good. All your ways are good. And you, you make it good for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. So, Father, I ask that you'd help us to take the next steps in following you uh, that you've laid on our heart today. Help us, God, to allow you to be in control and to not stubbornly refuse to go our own way. But help us to trust you and walk with you through all of life, the good things and the bad things, the hard things and the easy things, the joyful things and the sad things. God, help us with this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.